0: Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Kids Media Club podcast. I'm Andy Williams.
1: I'm Emily Horgan and Joe Redfern wasn't able to make it today, but she was part of the planning and she sent on her virtual notes. So, um, she was very excited about this conversation with Nina Han. You're very welcome on the podcast, Nina. Lovely to be here and thank you for for having me. I'd love it if could could you could you introduce yourself to our audience, although I'm pretty sure many of them would have known you from various conference presentations at conference presentations throughout the uh the years but go for it
2: yeah i i certainly can and and you know being as old as i am i probably have a few people i know but <laughs> maybe there'll be some new people that'll will come to the fray so um yes i have been in this business a bit of time um and it's funny as a kid when i when, when we talked about doing this i was thinking about well, why i actually got into this business and i i remember when i was a kid you know i felt sort of if I felt sick or, or sad or anxious or whatever I felt, I always turned to content to make me feel happy. And I thought to myself at that age, how cool would it be to do a job where you actually make kids feel happy? So that then gave birth to a, a, a long career. Um, and I ended up working with, let's see, first job was with a frog, a pig, and a bear. <laughs> second job was a lot of ponies, one <laughs> barbarian and a GI named Joe. Uh, then I had the luxury of working with a sponge three chipmunks, more ponies actually came into that. And then then went global with Chinese deer and Dutch teenagers and some South African moose. So it's been quite a career and you can figure out who those, those people, those partners, companies were. Um, but all of it led me to where I am now, which is basically a, I suppose, a, a content and commercial coach. That's what I'm calling myself.
0: Fantastic. And in a way, that's, that kind of gallop through all of the your kind of co-stars in your career it sets us up it totally for the um, for the topic that we'd love to kind of chat about, which is the tension between franchises and originals. So there were kind of there were lots of franchise characters that you were describing there, <laughs> and I think that um, we're at, we're at a point where it feels like that franchises have, are dominating a lot of the commissioning and the choices that people are making. And I just wanted, wanted to get your thoughts on what you thought the reasons were behind that dominance, particularly now at this point.
2: Yeah, sure. And and you're right that 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 litany of of uh, partners was was very franchisable, although there were definitely some originals in there as well. Um, and that did bring us me and us to this this stage. I, I think. Um, It's a really good question, and I I suppose I was stuck on the word dominance because I I then thought to myself sort of dominance versus prestige is a really interesting question. And is it dominance or is it just the bulk of? And it is a bulk. Um, And, you know, sort of the reasons behind it, I, I suppose, are equal parts human nature and equal parts business, because on the human nature side, of course, everybody loves a cognitive shortcut. You know, everybody loves to sort of play the nostalgia card. It feels good. You feel part of something. And so that works. And in the world of we've always had franchises around us for all of our lives forevermore. And the theory that we're now way out of whack with it and need a bit of a content chiropractor to come put the balance back in the franchise and the and the original. You know, 50% of it is that. The other 50% of it is really a business um, endeavor where three, four years ago when the streamers arrived, they thought, got to make money. How do we make money? We increase our subscriptions exponentially. How do you do that? You get stuff on your you know, offering that people on a couch are going to spend you know, 1995 for and and recognize. And so the loop begins where you have to put stuff on that's going to make them engage and make them spend their money and give them value. Only later on down the line did the notion of retention come into place where the kids' content obviously plays a a big and very important role. But really that was a, a business decision made by the streamers that everyone else has now sort of, you know, um, I think adopted in in all aspects, and it's created obviously a difficult space um, and an and, a, and an imbalance, and we definitely need to get back to balance.
1: Yeah, I completely, I completely hear you on that, Nina. I I think back to um, so I was I was at I was at the Walt Disney Company in 2019, and it was such a humongous year of film releases, right? Like it was like Avengers, like it was End Game, was End Game two, it was Frozen two, was it like like Aladdin, live action. Um, There was just so much major stuff coming on. But it's, it's also like, you know, and that was all coming on at a stage where they'd announced Disney Plus. They knew they were going to take that first pay window. But those kinds of movies aren't things that you commission and deliver in 18 months, right? Like all of that machine had to be moving in sync to deliver those major franchises into the Disney theatrical state in 2019 so that for 2020, they could have that major disney plus window um and you know i think the thing about franchise and when i look at disney particularly i kind of think you know it worked until it didn't
2: yeah yeah well and it's also really interesting to hear you say that emily because this i do ask myself at any point did those meetings that you were in and those decisions being made did they say okay, it's business critical that we do this in order to build the business and prepare for what we know is coming up ahead with the streaming business and the theatricals. But did anybody ever say there's a creative urgency to tell these stories, to retell these stories or tell these stories before they happened. And that is actually what's gonna motivate our decision of whether or not we're going to push and support that franchise or not. Probably not. And that's the big fat missing link, which we're now hopefully starting to see crest.
1: That's such a good point, I think. And I, you know, I think there were movies where these things had crescendoed into that point. The Marvel, you know, the genesis of Kevin Feige's Marvel vision was one of those where yes, the movie absolutely needed to be made. Um, I feel Frozen 2 was a great, you know, something that was long in the making. They knew they wanted to follow up that story. Maybe they wanted to follow up the story after the success. Um, you know, And but yeah, there's definitely definitely other questions there. And I'd say maybe the live action remakes is maybe a bit more of a question there And on, on how excited they got about those. I mean, I loved Cinderella. I think Cinderella live action remake is like a very underrated film. I think the success of that drove an, a hunger from a business point of view. And some of the other ones weren't, you know, didn't didn't meet that purity, didn't meet that need. I mean, Cinderella, the retelling of Cinderella was an updating as well. You know, because it's such an old film, it was of an era. You know, whereas updating like Beauty and the Beast or Aladdin from a more recent, you know, they were only twenty, they were only twenty years old. Um, you know, it was maybe not as necessary.
0: Frozen was Frozen, the animated movie was clearly made with the expectation that it might deliver some sequels and other. Uh, spinoffs. Disney doesn't really create any original content without factoring the fact that there's going to be a franchise potentially made out of that. Um, yes. But it feels like for the live action ones th- those, are, those are definitely kind of a new spin which wasn't probably intended when they did the original Lion King that they knew that that was going to spawn a live action version uh, likewise with Aladdin and it feels like sometimes with the live action ones that imperative of why does it need to be made? Um, isn't kind of answered creatively. It's kind of just, well, right. we we can squeeze a bit more revenue out of this franchise.
2: Exactly, and when you push that up against, so so even ten years ago, those decisions, and five years ago, those decisions being made, and now in an environment where viewers are, you know, kind of time poor and option rich, it's yet another. Um, Imp- really important factor that has been underestimated I think because if it's amazing and an amazing piece of content you know you'll 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 get a breath of fresh air but it's hard to get a breath of fresh air from something that's been churned from a business perspective.
0: Going back to the kind of the general um, look at franchises versus originals, uh, has it become more difficult in your view to fund and create originals in the current climate? Uh, are people more likely to see franchises as a safe bet in a kind of risky environment?
2: I mean, the short answer is yes, as we all know. But the but the but but part of that yes is it's been difficult to fund anything um, in this particular market, you know. And I think we all talk about that a lot. Um, but the the. The, the impact of that has been certainly taking away money, taking away t- money from originals, time from originals, you know, s- slots or space or wherever it may be. And um, I think it's quite difficult to figure out how um, you can focus yourself more on what you can actually control and sort of stay away from what you cannot control, which is a lot of that noise with respect to the, to the business side of things, you know. And I think the other side of it is really to Velcro yourself to a sense of time. You know, Warren Buffett made this great <laughs> this great um, quote I just read the other day, which is, you can get nine women pregnant and you're not gonna have a baby faster than nine months. You're not gonna have a baby in a month just because you get nine women pregnant. And this sort of reminded me of the same thing. It's like, we still have to wait it out, plot and plan, and work against the the notion of what we can make on, as amazing content with amazing talent, living side by side with the extreme of franchises. So finding that lane for, for originals is got to be smartly disrupted.
1: So I have a pitch for you guys, because there's a lane where originals are actually winning out right now, I would suggest. And that's preschool, because we've got Bluey, we've got Gabby's Dollhouse. And I, I know Cocomel has been around, like knocking around YouTube since 2006, but they really made, it was, it was quite a pivot that they made to go to the 3D, JJ-led Cocomel in 2017. So it's actually only around a year older than Bluey in its kind of current iteration. So, you know, and this is, I think, quite a frustrating thing for folks in the industry because these are three brand new franchises born of the streaming era, you know? Gabby's Dollhouse is streaming first, Louis kind of came up on the wave of Disney+. Plus, So there's kind of, there is examples of it working, right? Like there is examples of originals cutting through. But then at the same time, you've got like Netflix cutting, like I don't know how many preschool originals they had in that period. And it was just like once, well, they, I know it wasn't one season because we're not calling a season 20 episodes anymore. But for us real grownups who are calling a season 20 episodes, they cut like, you know, after season one, they cut those. And they'd actually, in a way, they had cut them before they even launch, because if you want a season two of something, you have to have it greenlit really by the time season one is launching, and you need to have been d- done your testing around that. So I don't know. What are your thoughts on that, Nina? I mean, I, you're you're 100 right, and
2: I actually think that the preschool space still has an homage to this this the the balanced approach to uh, to to originals and to to um, franchises, and and that's nice. That's where we all used to be, and you know, too much of a good thing is too much of a good thing, as we're as we're now realizing. The preschool space is so interesting because preschool has such a strong um, dedication to its regional provenance. And you see that in terms of quota meeting, and you see that in terms of what parents want their kids to watch. They want their kids to watch preschool shows that represent their region, their culture, their country. So I think that's one of the reasons that's happening, because you can't necessarily force-feed global franchises down the preschool space 100% of the time because they ultimately aren't British or aren't Spanish or aren't Brazilian or whatever they may be. Um, you know, definitely, even at companies like Paramount, all m- most of the preschool content is dubbed into British English, even if it is in American English. So that it feels more British to to the parents of preschools who want their kids to feel that. So there's, I think, a real dedication and um, hunger to make sure that original stuff represents those kids in that region on screen and isn't just recycled, regurgitated and, you know, sort of imported.
1: Yeah, yeah, totally. And I, and I kind of feel that with um, them. There's, there's been kind of really good strategic um, examples of that being leveraged to kind of shoot the rocket globally i like pj masks is one of my my favorite examples of that bluey you know even though bluey has retained that australianness everywhere so it's kind of like take advantage of the of the of the of the moment and take advantage of like what's the need locally to kind of you know tactically use it to kind of then shoot something that has potential worldwide
0: yeah i mean i was just also wondering whether and this, i might be kind of completely wrong on this but Whether that preschool area, you have more channels and platforms that are in some ways kind of um, more sort of state supported. So maybe that's more where you'll get your your BBCs or your PBS and whether that in some ways changes the calculations about originals versus franchises.
2: Yeah, I think definitely does. That's why I said earlier, this notion of quotas plays a big role in these decisions and the money against that. And certainly some regions are um, more supportive of that than others. Some regions are trying to get more of that than others. Although, you know, the, the platforms still play a role and are still eroding those eyeballs. And although I'm sure many public, many public broadcaster would say they have those kids. They have those kids looking. I'm not so sure if you looked under the hood of that if they have them to the degree that they hope, and we would all hope that they would. I think even that um, has happened where they've left, they've left to go to to the go the eye player of the world, whatever you know, whatever wherever you're talking about, even at the preschool level. So it's 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 difficult. I think the other side of the preschool market too. That's also difficult to handle and addresses the fact that it too is run by a business model and that business model is consumer products so if you have a great original idea that is not a consumer product how that's going to you know float up the food chain versus something that is has a strong play pattern and multiple partners and dollars against it because of that is is a different it's a different you know it's a super highway versus a back road i think
1: what do you think is a really good example of something that had very little consumer product play that did really well in preschool in preschool i'm trying to think because i would say spongebob in the big kid
2: space which is always a great example not that i work there but it really is one of those magnificent magnificent examples and clearly peppa is would be the would the, be the second example
1: that she didn't yeah. re, like you know when you look at her she's got a face like a hairdryer and no one wants to cast that mold out <laughs> <that> in plastic <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah yes Yes, yes, and yes. And also the simple cliche of a question of what's her plate? What's the plate pattern? You know, it isn't dress up. It isn't rescue. It isn't, you know, so there's lots of things there that
1: aren't there. And yet, you know, juggernaut. Yeah, yeah. Although I, I, like for me, Peppa, like I feel, yeah, it's not got that really, it's not got that really cynical consumer product play, but like the the the, the color palette is just, you know, is really delicious. Like she's very, she's very iconic. She's got a very iconic face, like a hairdryer. But like, you know, like you you can see Peppa in a silhouette and know that it's Peppa straight away. So there's certain things, softer things, maybe about her that are that are not like super consumer products. It's not like as simple as like Paw Patrol, where it's like puppies, uh, vehicles, uh, suits, uh, a boy who's wearing a watch and like this jacket, and like you can buy
0: all that. Um, Yeah, I mean, I think that's true. But I think Peppa needed to get to that point where it it gained such a kind of popularity and such an, an undeniable audience as a series that, that, the, that the merchandise kind of fell into place after that. But it took quite a while, is my memory, is of, of it to be able to have a kind of a toy aspect to it.
2: You're absolutely right. But the choreography of that is really quite beautiful in a lot of ways, the way that organically grew. And you say the same for SpongeBob too, it was a similar situation. It took about a year or longer for it to really bet in. The sad thing now, and going back to that time, poor, option, rich model, is that you don't have the time to do that. And so you are then in a situation where to a toy company, it's down to what is the play pattern? And you know that yeah. play pattern, in terms of the, before it, before it releases, before it goes. And, um, you know, that's a, that's a big part
1: of their decision-making. Um, and that whole, let the show be the show thing is just not, thing. not, not, it's like not an option these days. Although yeah. like I will say the example of Paw Patrol and I've looked at the data, I, I looked at it as a competitor back in the day, you know, um, it, it, it was not out the gate, right? Like with the consumer products, like it was 18 months because it's also, it's not just that it's also a thing of like, you're on pay tv you need to build up an episode volume then you need to hit free tv then you like you know what i mean then it kind of gets it gets that everything everywhere all at once kind of situation um yeah but yeah.
2: part of that is also is is an in, intentional i mean part of that is that the toy is not going to want to release until it has uh, has reached a certain point yeah. so that 18 month yeah. marker is you know meant meant to do that kind of thing yeah which isn't really franchise related but nonetheless
0: <laughs> but, but it all kind of yeah it all feeds into that um I mean, sort of so zooming out a bit, where do you think do you think we're at a point where there's been a kind of a stagnation of some of those franchises, which is prompting um studios and platforms and broadcasters to look at cultivating more kind of new original franchises?
2: i. I want to see, and I'm deciding I'm seeing, let's put it that way. Franchise fatigue. It's a bit of a. It's a bit of both. Um, I think we're seeing it. Obviously, some of the behavior across the Star Wars and the MCU franchises is starting to show us that the numbers were fine. I mean, it's not like you certainly can't say they tanked because they didn't. But there's definitely uh, an underwhelming performance as a result of the what we thought they would all do because they were a franchise. Um, You know, and I think it's setting in either directly related to the to the content released as uh, 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 which wasn't very good with respect to the franchise or the ask of the audience is so huge now, especially with MCU, because there's just the, the, the giant universe that you've got to know about to really get it and and buy in and feel compelled by it is so vast that really, you know, you'd rather a breath of fresh air from something original and a one-off that you can get and and consume quickly. So I think the rose, the bloom is coming off the rose a bit and makes sense because we've got to get back to a balancing act between original and, and, um, and franchises. And I think the fatigue is definitely there and people really just kind of are getting tired of nothing ends. Just nothing ever
1: ends, mm. kind of sense. Yeah, yeah.
0: There's, yeah. Yeah, there's definitely yeah. a feeling. Like a friend of mine said that um for Marvel and and Star Wars, it felt like those stories had no beginning and no end. Yeah, and that in some ways that can become sort of slightly overwhelming.
1: Yeah, uh, but it was cause I,
0: cause
1: I, I feel like well, my husband is like the biggest completist in the world, but like <laughs> you know, it's 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 it's, it's, a, it's a drain sometimes. But you know, like like and I I'm a, I'm. I've been a lifelong Star Wars fan. I'm a Marvel fan. I worked at Disney. I like drank the Kool Aid. Like I it turned my skin green. Like totally right. But you know, it was just it was a saturation because those series that came out, you know, in in the launch of Disney Plus, they were great. Right, like Mandalorian was amazing. You know, um, and you know the Marvel series were amazing. Like they they they, 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 were, they were they were great, and you got into them. But like, it just got to the stage. like, I just don't have time, lads. Like, I don't have time to be on top of this all the time. Like, and then you, and then like you get that thing, like he's saying, you know, where you feel like you're out of the loop. And That's I know, right. I know there will be intentionality with the program makers to be like, we need to make this so that people can just yeah. drop into it. And there probably is, but it just doesn't feel like an open door. Like you just, you just like, you're getting the pump, you're getting the PR, you're like, they're doing another series. Oh my gosh, I must be so out of touch now. Why would I even bother? I'll just watch something new.
2: Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And and it goes all jockeys back to that same old adage question that we've asked in thousands of different ways, thousands of different years in time, which is, what is the artistic reason for this thing?
1: I'm liking and, that as a North Star.
2: And somehow I think we've missed that because we got trumped by the commercial region, you know, also important. And you, you end up then, you know, with franchises, franchises that expand in search of a story. Versus story expansion that enhances the franchise, and then you know, then then you get into the place you're sort of describing now, which is just meh. Don't have the, just don't. I don't. I can't get. You know, I can't can't get get into. I just can't do it. Can't do it.
1: Totally. Where are you seeing? What about what about new franchises emerging? Because I think that's something we've seen recently, where you know, gaming is giving is you know is is kind of. It feels like that crossover from gaming into into streaming or into like long form TV content is kind of being validated and you know what other areas are you seeing that you, you think is kind of exciting yeah
2: you know it's funny to to think about that as as a new franchise and i i struggle with that a little bit in the world of an oxymoron because somehow it's very jumbo shrimp to me that the new franchise and i i wonder is that really what it is emerging or are we um looking for I've new never sp-
1: thought about jumbo shrimp i'm literally like oh my god oh. <laughs> i i'm like i'm like that lady with the with that meme like that's me right right now <laughs> okay we well, how have a crash burning
2: or or crash landing crash landing it is not crash burning crash landing you know minor miracle whatever there, there's a yeah. few of them but no i'm with it's, you it's, i'm with you i've just it never just, it that that before. A new franchise. and I, I think to myself actually is that what we should be going for or should we again be look you know f- finding a, a great original idea that will turn into a franchise. And maybe that's what th- that's maybe that's the what the implication is when you when you ask that question. But um, and I think looking everywhere all the time under every rock has always been the modus operandi. We should have always been, always be doing that, whether it's today in you know in epic or 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 Roblox or game the game or you know or somewhere else. It should always, the content search, which is in our control, should always be looking everywhere at all times. Disrupt, disrupt, disrupt. See what you can come up with. That doesn't really answer your question, but... <laughs> uh,
0: I mean, I, I think there there's definitely been, there, there's there been signs that kind of there's a lot of appeal in franchises based on video games. and But I feel like they're really what, what the appeal is is being able to try and borrow the audience of that yeah. video game and that franchise.
2: Exactly. And what's so funny about the whole thing to me, if you took a 90-mile-up view of the dance going on on this stage, the gamers want to be in the t- in the television business and the television business wants to be in the gaming business. And you just think, oh, dear, I think we're all going
1: to miss one another and end, in- end up in each other's back garden with neither. So um I do think there's something to be said because like in like in a world where getting funding is difficult for a brand new IP, finding novel, unique, compelling stories in, you know, hard to reach rocks. like keep looking under the rocks and you know, unique rocks to look under, I think is helpful because at least when you bring your rock to the table, tell me when I've gone too far with the rock analogy, um, you know, you can say that there's like an established fan base. Yeah, I don't know. Of The Rock. Okay, I'll leave it. Um, but, you know, like it's, it's... And even if it's a small fan base, it's still demonstrable, right? Like it's still... Absolutely,
0: for
2: sure. Absolutely, for sure. And I think that's the way it's always been. I mean, in a way... And, and also you could say that same argument about, again, what is a... Let's just say an early franchise. What does an early franchise look like? So that's one thing in terms of it having a fan base. There's another argument about, could franchises be defined as having a certain kind of talent attached to them? So if you're bringing... You know, um, I don't, you know, Jennifer Lopez to the table with this piece of content, could that be a franchise? Because actually you're bringing eyeballs because of her, pre-sales because of her, you know, and this has been done in different ways before too, but yeah. I think maybe the other sort of middle road would be to broaden out the definition of a franchise, not just pre-sold with respect to content, but actually has another way of looking at it, which could also loosen up the model a bit.
1: Yeah, definitely. I mean, I'm also like, there's something like i'm seeing you know on tiktok a lot right where like there's comedians they're doing skits like you know what i mean like there's so much storytelling and what they're doing and like trying to imagine those stories in a different way um to build out kind of that offering i think there's just so many different avenues you can go looking down for this kind of this source ip Um, for sure
2: and equally what does it look like to have tiktok for kids not not that label but to kids stuff on tiktok which obviously none of us can do now what, what what is breaking that model look like? How can that work? What could we need to do to have that on there, which is meet them where they are world. So um, also an interesting conundrum.
0: Uh, the TikTok one is kind of, is a tricky one because it's... Yeah, very. With the, the the dilemma is that we, in kids' media, you kind of have to operate as if that, as if kids aren't on TikTok where... They clearly are on tiktok so
2: and yet and yet what would it take to figure out okay how do we make that successful what do we need to do to actually break that model before moonbug figures it out <laughs> probably figure it out before any of us um you know uh it's interesting and you're seeing obviously some of these things being released you're seeing a lot of longer form on tiktok for you know 13 plus but it it is interesting to see how it's working and what do you need to make that happen it's scary because
1: the regulation aspects of all of that are are frightening but you know it's reality i think for me it's always about trying to find a, a business model that it can operate within because once people are making money then people are motivated to do the right thing and um, it's just finding the model to overlay on top of that so yeah. like what are you seeing for the future and you like are we all just going to be watching star wars until we die or where's the new stuff going to come from <laughs> i know i'm not such a star wars fan but like I just haven't kept up with the recent series. But am where... with you,
2: I'm a Star Wars fan as well. So, um, I'm with you. Um, it's a very good question and I I I I, I wish I had the answer because if I had the answer I, I would yeah. be sitting on a beach in Tahiti. Um, <laughs> but the only thing I will say is to me, for, for me personally, I think it's quite an exciting time because the disruption and the lack of foundation, which is you know, constantly moving, creates such a sense of um, you can do anything from a creative space. And I think that is what will yield change, yield answers, yield workarounds, yield different models of making things in different ways with different people. Um, all this, this this sense of we're not we're on any kind of steady ground. We don't know what's up ahead. is going to force people out of their comfort zone to disrupt. And that is where I think the great change will come. What, whatever it may be, or whatever they may
1: be. I have so much respect for you and people like you. Are like you know that discomfort? It's a good thing. This is yeah. great. <laughs> exactly. Well,
2: it's true. I mean, as a creative person, the worst thing in the world is to look down the tunnel and see forty years ahead of you and of say, "You know, it's yeah, awful." So this is you know much much more familiar ground for all of us, and I think something that that. Um, can give birth to quite an interesting workaround really is how the best way to think of it.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And I think that kind of the, with a shakeup, there's there's new opportunities as well. So I think there's definitely that feeling that people are looking for maybe new new answers to creative problems in a way that they weren't before. And there's a maybe a bit of an added urgency behind that. Um, as Joe isn't here, I was wondering whether we could – take her questions quickly because she she sent across two questions for us to pass on so this is a bit of a technical thing i'm going to see if i can play it off of my iphone
1: and where do you see the next generation of franchises coming from
2: um i think probably it will be a little bit of business as usual so those franchises coming from a lot of the places that we've seen them before m- just just more of them released more of them um milked for whatever stories they may have and whatnot but i also think and hope that there is a sense for looking in fr- for franchises in very surprising spaces so And that probably segues into the more what are interesting strategic partnerships and strategic creative partnerships that people can make to make things work so you know working with car companies working with candy companies working you know other places where things are iconic familiar pre-sold in a way but then you interpret them as a content maker into something that can create longevity um And it's interesting to see how that's going to work and where that's going to come from. But that could be one avenue we march down.
0: Fantastic. And then I do have one final question from Joe. So same again. I'll just play this, see if everyone can hear it.
1: It seems to me that there's a real tension between uh, the reliance on franchises in an industry that at this moment in time is looking to de-risk things, play it safe, uh, secure revenues, However, we see um, a real hunger and a desire from particularly younger audiences for things that are new. How do you think that we are going to reconcile that tension and how do you foresee it playing out?
2: I think, to be honest, what's going to hopefully start to happen is the, the, the desire and the hunger and the urge from the audience to see things, to your point, that are new and fresh and disruptive will win out because at the end of the day, the being everywhere kids are and giving kids the content that they want is the ultimate North star for any anybody, whether it's the business model or the creative model. You, they gotta be viewers at the end of this. Um, and I think that combined with this hunger and urge for, for a breath of fresh air um, and constantly new stuff, which they're so used to on TikTok and so used to on YouTube and so used to on various platforms that they probably shouldn't be on, it's going to be the, 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 the push that it's going to impact the business model to switch towards serving up the right food for them.
0: Fantastic. That's great. I think that's probably a as good a place as any for us to kind of wrap up the the conversation. Thanks so much, Nina. It's been really great um, having you on the podcast and really insightful and interesting.
2: Well, thank you both for, well, for and Joe for the, the non-existent Joe for having me. So it's been really my pleasure and and lovely to
1: to wax lyrical about this stuff. That was so fun. Thank you.
0: That's it for today's episode of the Kids Media Club podcast. We hope you enjoyed our discussion. If you want to hear more content like this, subscribe to our podcast wherever you get your podcasts from. If you have any ideas for future episodes or want to share your thoughts on the topic, feel free to reach out to us on social media. Thanks again for listening and we'll see you next time on the Kids Media Club podcast.